With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Corpus coming in. Goal away. Oh, it's Palmerbet. It's the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. To this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our great friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Well, today, we're joined by a man who Essendon people will tell you epitomised the spirit of the club and what playing for the jumper was all about. Don McKenzie was a forceful but fair ruckman who didn't let his lack of size stop him outplaying some of the most celebrated big men of his era. Don played 267 games for the Bombers between 1960 and 1974. He was a captain, a dual premiership player, a best and fairest winner, and he joins us now. Hi, Don. Thanks for your time. Uh, good morning. Where do we find you? And uh, I like to ask everyone this question off the top. How are you coping in these crazy times? Uh, well, I'm coping all right. I'm now living in Ballarat. And um, so uh, lockdown, the same as everybody else. How have you found it? Obviously, it's a challenge, isn't it? Well, it's been a bit of a challenge. Uh, I've been overcoming you know, a, a few injuries, actually. Um so July last year, I had a, a ankle replaced, uh, which is pretty rare. But anyway, uh, that went all right. And uh, more or less been recruiting ever since. Don, is this the legacy of this long VFL career or an injury that you picked up afterwards? Uh, no, it was, it was due to uh, sprained ankles over the journey. And... Um, in the end, uh, I had two options, either have it replaced or have it fused. And then I, I elected to have it replaced. And um, so it was done at Epworth on the 14th of July last year. So the operation was all right, but I had, I've had problems ever since with... with uh, 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 so you, I had pneumonia, I had, had pneumonia, I've had... Um, Staff, golden staff in hospital, those sorts of things. But anyway, life goes well, on. 
It does, and I'm glad to hear you're, you're sounding in a better place now and a good thing it happened last year as opposed to this year. And we'll come to this a little bit later in the show, Don, but because you were so prolific at getting off the ground to great height, I guess sometimes when you're coming down from those great heights, you're bound to land funny. Well, I always had my ankles strapped, but, uh, but anyway, that didn't help all that much at the time, yeah. So we find you in Ballarat now. That's home. Yeah. Where was home? Where was home for you as a kid, Don? Where'd you grow up? I was b- born in Holberg Street, Mooney Ponds, and um, in um, nineteen thirty-nine. And uh, so, so my father was a great Essendon supporter, and uh, and he, he followed me right through my career, and. Uh, he was a good man too. So Mooney Ponds, what was that like as a kid? What did a young Don McKenzie get into? Did the old man take you to Windy Hill religiously? I, my first football match would have been at the age of three or four at Windy Hill and, uh, and got lost <laughs> and had to find my way home from the ground. And uh, so that wasn't a problem. Uh, I did that all right with the... The um, ground back in those days, I can still recall Napier Street being full of trams uh, waiting for the end of the match and everybody would rush for, uh, for a tram to catch the tram back into Melbourne. And uh, so Napier Street was, uh, I would think, in excess of 50 or 60 trams would be stored up waiting for the crowd to put uh, off the game to finish. And, uh, yeah, so it was good times. So my father would take me there and he would he would get me down to the the fence and I would look, watch the game between the pickets in the fence. Um, what? So that was between the, uh, the two races. Uh, what great memories. What great memories. Yeah. Don, this is this is unheard of for people of my generation and perhaps a lot of young parents listening that you got yourself lost at the age of three or four years of age and you made your way home on your own from Windy Hill yeah. to Mooney Ponds. Yeah, straight down Alexander Road and uh, um, down alongside uh, Mooney Valley Racecourse. That's where we lived, yeah. Fantastic. Jeez. So that's the early 40s. It was a different time, wasn't it, in so many ways. And who were the heroes back then dressed in red and black, Don? Uh, Who'd you look I, up to? I would, I would say, well, they're all heroes. Uh, the uh, Back in those days, I remembered all the players with their numbers, of course. Uh, Bluey McClure was 31 and... Uh, uh, Reynolds, of course, was three. Hutchison was seven. Even Tinker Tonks, who was number one at the time. Uh, all those players come back to memory. Uh, yeah, 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 you never forget, do you? Now, you go to school, Don, at Essendon Baptist St John's, but tell us, for all your, uh, I guess, following of football as a kid, you were relatively late to pick the ball up yourself, weren't you? Well, I used to play football out in the street. Our street at the time had players uh, uh, playing at Essendon, like uh, uh, Jack Knowles, 
uh, 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 Huey Morris, um, these blokes, and they used to come out. And, of course, I, back in those days, my parents would give me a, a new football. And, of course, kicking the ball out in the street, <laughs> it didn't last too long on the That's outside. right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So you so, had the, the, the listed players for Essendon at the time, Don, were out there on the street having a kick with you. That's it, yes. So was there was that? Lloyd Middleton. There was another chap by the name of Lloyd Middleton. So Jack Knowles was full, a full back at the time at Essendon. And, uh, and even Dad would come out and have a kick with us. Yeah. How good's that? How good is that? And what about playing games, Don? Because I touched on this, but you were relatively late to the party. At what age did you start actually playing in games of football competitively? So it was all, all by accident, really, whereby uh, I was playing tennis and uh, I was pl- a, a playing A-grade tennis in the Essendon District League, uh, in the Essendon District, and it came t- to this particular season in fifty late 50s and we had too many men for the team. And um, so they were looking for... A, you know, one man to step down, which I did. And so a couple of the mates said, well, why don't you come down and have a kick of the footy? And I borrowed a pair of boots from Reg Gervin and uh, and then started training and so on at the Vesseton Baptist St. John's. And, of course, it was a great breeding ground in those days. Uh, over the journey, I, I think we've had eight players join Essendon, uh, uh, from Essendon Baptist St. John's. And in fact, two presidents, so there was Colin Stubbs and Ron Evans. They were both ex-players of, uh, of Essendon Baptist St. John's. And, uh, and of course, uh, uh, Teddy Fordham, who um, I think still holds, holds the record for the most goals kicked in a grand final which was in uh, 65 mm-hmm. and uh, and so he and Stubbs and Kenny Fraser uh, Jim Carstairs they all came from Essendon Baptist uh, at St John's and they all ended up on, on the committee at some stage or other over the years well Don, I'm certainly glad Reg lends you those footy boots because within 12 months of playing the game, you're the best and fairest winner for the Essendon District League. You you, you took to it like a duck to water. Well, I did, and uh, and I always liked training and running and that sort of thing. And uh, at school, I was keen on hurdling and high jumping and so on. And uh, so that's... Yeah, still be in good stead, you know, for uh, 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 football years. Yeah, you touch on that. Even this early in your evolution as a player, the key traits were there, weren't they? That being endurance, aggression, toughness, and that tremendous leap that you had. But what sort of position did you play as a teenager? Was it ruck even then? Oh, yes, it was, yes. Um, So we were premiers in... um, in 68 uh, in the Essendon District League and um, so uh, so the 
team was always in in the headlines, so to speak, in the sporting area. Yep, yep. And there was there was obviously no national draft at, at this stage, Don. That was many years into the future. How did you actually find your way to Essendon? Well, I was fortunate enough to win the best and fairest in the Essendon District League in uh, in '78, and um, and then I got a letter from the, the football club, uh, Bill Cookson, inviting me up to train at Essendon. Yep. And uh, so that's when it all started. And uh, so um, started training, but. So in the off-season, I uh, then went to the Essendon Harriers and, and thought I would build up fitness there, and uh, which I did. And uh, so I was running uh, quarter miles and hurdling and, and high jumping. And, of course, Ron Clark was, uh, was also competing at Olympic Park at the time. So I got to know him fairly well. And uh, uh, he's assisted me over the journey uh, as far as fitness is concerned. And um, so we, you know, to the extent that he he became my accountant at the time. And, uh, (laughs) you know, not that there was much income involved. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll We'll get to that. He, he used to run from Ringwood uh, across to Lower Templestowe, where I was living at the time. And Helen, his wife, would come over and pick him up and bring him home. And, of course, uh, so another interesting thing about Ron was that he played in the seconds. Uh, when I was playing in the seconds in 59, and he, he would run from Ringwood to the ground, play for four quarters and then Helen would come and pick him up from the ground after the game. Well, he, couldn't, how... he, he couldn't run home, Don? No, he's... No. Shortcuts? A bit poor. Yeah, so he ran, obviously ran out of breath, but uh, <laughs> he was a brilliant athlete. Was he yeah. ever? Well, what a man to have in your corner as well, because it was yeah. these traits that we touch on that that held you in good stead. And um, we'll right. get to your physical dimensions a little bit later. But he must have been key for you. Well, he he was, and uh, so he kept me on my metal. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Up next, how Don McKenzie overcame this lack of height and weight to find his feet as Essendon's star ruckman. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible, of course, by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're with Essendon's 1960s icon, Don McKenzie. Well, Don, you join a Bombers side, coached by none other than the triple Brownlow medalist Dick Reynolds and captain by Jack Clark. You get in there... There's some pretty big names in the Windy Hill dressing room. All all great players in their time. Yeah. 
What was your relationship with the late Dick Reynolds like, Don? Uh, so Dick was very quiet, really, in my opinion. Um, and uh, there was no aggression about him. Um, he was just, you know, turn up and play the game. And uh, there was certainly no fire and brimstone about him. And uh, so he didn't, so you didn't get the true message as to how how you were competing, you know, within yourself. Whereas Tolman, uh, you know, would really eyeball you and and give you the facts of life, and uh, so you had to shape up or ship out more or less with Coleman. So they were two different men in their outlook on the game. Yeah. J- just under Reynolds, though, Don, because you were relatively late to pick up the game in a competitive sense, did it take you a while to find your feet at the level? And, and who were you able to lean on to hone your craft within the club? Well, first started to play in uh, in the seniors in uh, 61. And uh, at the end of 61, uh, I then went off and trained harder, so to speak, to, to try and up my fitness to be able to see him you know, a full match out and, you know, give it all. And um, so at the start of 60, 61, I was called into the into the committee room with the with the uh, selection committee of, of Dick, of course, Jack Frosty, Howard Oakey, Berg Speakman, and uh, I was told that my style of game didn't really suit their brand and that they were only too willing to, uh, to give me an open clearance. And they you know, uh, 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 suggested I might go to Williamstown or one of the association teams. Wow. So, so I was pretty disappointed about that. Went home and told my father. And father uh, really never interfered with what I did as far as playing the game. So he said, look, son, you haven't played all that much. I, I suggest you hang around which I did. And then, of course, in 61, along came Coleman and uh, changed the whole side around, which was good. Yeah. yeah. So you played 12 games in 1960, uh, 18 game, or 14 games in 61, but then you became a, a permanent fixture in 62. Donna, I wanted to ask you, I the leap certainly did, but I assume the aggression came naturally as well. Was that always just the way you were wired and the way you'd always always played the game from day one? Right. So I think I was always, you know, tried to be uh, competitive and um, and I suppose a little bit of aggression came out during that. And, um, of course, Coleman would say, never ever hit a person smaller than yourself. And uh, so that always... You know, stuck in the back of the mind. Well, uh, you didn't have to worry uh, about that because you were smaller than most of them, Don. I mean, 188 centimetres short for a ruckman, six foot two in the old scale. Um, even in your generation, that's that's short for a ruckman and you, you weighed in at, what, 85 kilos? Well, I was only uh, 12 stone, so uh, dripping wet more or less. But um, I don't know. Uh, so what with the athletics, with the Essendon Harriers and so on, and also, we had a chap by the name of Bert Willie came along. And he was the first as far as the VFL was concerned, where we introduced circuit training and everything we did was recorded. And we always had 
a challenge, you know, to better what we would, had done the previous week. And so the exercise programs that, uh, that we were set, uh, our person ended up, you know, a, a better player. And uh, so then Peter Bevilacqua came along and, and he was a real tough taskmaster. And uh, circuit training was first. And uh, and then as a result of being a ruckman, I had special exercises as well, which which built the strength up in the legs and uh, enabled me to you know continue on getting off the ground. Yeah, and in those days, Don, you you'd locked horns with the likes of I guess at Carlton, John Nichols and Percy Jones, Carl Dietrich at St Kilda, Len Thompson, Don Scott, Teasdale. The list goes on and on. You you, you couldn't afford to be a shrinking violet. No, well, that's, that's true. And um, so so I had another player in the team which helped me know in was a chap by the name of, of Ken Timms, number 25. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he he was a, a real thinking footballer, came up through the thirds. And he was, and of course, back in those days, boundary throw-ins happened uh, every every second of the game, and so so Timsey would would more or less you know design the boundary boundary throw-ins as, as to what he would do and what he expected me to do, and he helped me no end. Whereby he would do all the tough bullocking uh, work, and you know, because of my leap, you know, set the scene up for me, which was you know very appreciative of. And, yeah. Uh, it- and Don, just on that high leap you had, that's the boundary throw-ins. What about your approach to the centre bounce? Because you didn't muck around with the the palm work. You actually became known for regularly punching the ball pretty much to centre-half forward. Well, so the aim was, back in those days, was to try and get the ball to, to John Somerville on the half-forward flank. And uh, so we achieved that on the odd occasion, and uh, which was quite good. And uh, so that was Coleman. And uh, he would say, "I now I expect you to do this and don't mess around with it." And, uh, <laughs> so that was that. Yeah. I like the sound so, of I like the sound of John Coleman style as a coach, Don. Um, and you became, as you said, a permanent fixture under him. And you clearly had a great working relationship. Um, you win the premiership th- that year in '62 as well. The Bombers beating Carlton, and you you get another one in 1965 against St Kilda. What did they and what do they mean to you now? All these years on, oh, they're great memories, and uh, and the camaraderie that has built up in relation to apprenticeship players. Uh, in fact, there's a club which uh, a John Burt, uh, he's chairman of, and uh, he, he gets. Premiership players together, and I don't know whether you're aware of this, but people who have played in a premiership have the ability of of being uh, on on the stamps for the postmaster general. Okay. And, uh, so so I've got sheets of uh, stamps which I've been able to purchase over the years, and uh, so. So if I ever send you a letter, I'll put a stamp on it. <laughs> well, it's a good reason to go back to the snail mail, I reckon, if you've got yourself yeah. on a stamp. What a great memento. 
so there's a get together every year and it's you know, a good time to catch up with everybody. It's usually the uh, week before uh, that year's premiership. Yeah, so it's a good occasion. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. And so the flags in 62 and 65, unfortunately you tasted defeat on the last day of the year as well, three years later in 68 when Essendon lose to Carlton. Now you stepped in as captain on this day, Don, when Ken Fraser was ruled out with a, a leg injury, which was a, a big blow to the side, wasn't it? How does how does that day live on with you? Well, most unfortunate year, actually, or, or most unfortunate day. We were certainly a fit side because Clark was a, uh, a fitness fanatic and he he, he was instrumental in, in statistics and he had the whole VFL tabbed as far as their abilities and um, and what players could do and couldn't do and so he would select a side accordingly mm. and um, unfortunately though he didn't see eye to eye with Alan Hurd who was president at the, at the time and in fact um, it was quite disturbing on one occasion where, where Alan Hurd came into the room and pushed Clark aside and and actually tried to coach the side that day. And, uh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was wow. And uh, so, you know, for a president to do that was, you know, quite unusual. And uh, at any rate, Clark, um, Clark knew what he was doing, had all his statistics, and um, which heard he didn't go along with. And uh, so very disappointing. We were the fitter side on the day, but anyway, we couldn't bring it to the fore. What might have been, eh? Yeah, that's it exactly. Mm. And, uh, so it should have been three premierships. So it should have been a cakewalk, actually, because we were very, very fit. And uh, as a result of Clark and, and his uh, coaching, and uh, anyway. Well, it goes into the, the the history archives now, doesn't it? It's it's there to stay. Uh, two and one, not a bad record though. Grand final day, you'd take that if you were offered at the start of your career. No doubt about that, Don. Uh, you with yeah. this is your sporting life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. After the break, Don's essential. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. ...to the captaincy, albeit... It doesn't last as long as he would have liked. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with one of Essendon's biggest names, Don McKenzie. Well, Don, in 1969, your ascension to the captaincy is complete. You're appointed full-time, and that year you play in your 94th consecutive game, I think, since 1965. But I imagine 
Being announced as captain must have been a tremendous honour. Well, it certainly was. And um, so I put that down to the hard work I did in relation to, you know, keeping up my fitness and overcoming injuries or knocks that I'd had the weeks before. I, I would play squash on Monday nights. And uh, so you'd run out all the injuries you know, from the weekend before. And if it was too severe, I would actually, you know, take to the streets and, and run around the streets, you know, and get the body going again yeah. after after a heavy weekend. And uh, and of course, Clark was instrumental in that. He was he was one for always keeping the body moving uh, and don't you know dwell on on injuries, run the injuries out and all that sort of thing, which was good. And, uh, and and you worked at it accordingly. You would never have imagined, though, Don, that your stint as captain would last only the one season. But in 1970, you and four teammates, and Barry Davis, one of them, Jeff Casper, you take a stand over pay and conditions. And this was big news at the time. The year before, I, as captain, had the privilege of being involved in the in the selection committee. And... As a result of that, I got an extra dollar a week in my pay and and a free meal on a Thursday night. And I didn't think that was right. So I, I spoke to a couple of the senior players. So we thought we'd, we'd take a stand because... Uh, so the balance sheet for the club was, was great and the club could afford it. So we asked for a different... A way of being paid for a game and so on, and uh, and of course at the time Alan Heard, uh, who had been treasurer, he he took a stand against us and uh, and, and turned the committee against us, and uh, as a result of that I lost the captaincy, and um, so again life moves on, so be it, and uh, but the rate of pay in relation to gate receipts and so on was very, very poor. But Don, hadn't, you mentioned Alan Heard there, wasn't Essendon's initial stance supportive of your move? In fact, hadn't they initiated a move for an increase in players' payments initially? So they, so they said that, and of course it was known then as the Calder Law and Essendon didn't want to go outside the Calder Law because so what was happening was if you were residentially bound, uh, which I was and other players were, so the other four players also were residentially bound to Essendon, so they couldn't go anywhere, and so the club realised this. So it's not as if we could move around the league at that stage. And, of course, players were, were being imported from from interstate and being paid accordingly, whereby travel expenses and accommodation costs were being picked up and so on. And yet the person that was you know, residentially bound and couldn't do anything other than just play football, uh, you know, had to accept what the club was offering. Don, it's written that, that your group wanted $3 for each training session instead of one and a basic $40 per match until 50 games and then increments coming each 25 games after that. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so that yep. was denied, and uh, 
so they don't want to stick to their own. So we so we didn't. Um, so lots of people still say that we went on strike. So we didn't go on strike. So we had to retire, and the reason for that was that if we you know, just walked out, we stood the chance of of losing our superannuation or our provident fund money at the time because the club had the right or there was the ability to cancel a player's provident fund money. Mm. So so that that wasn't big dollars back in those days, but so rather than risk that, so the, the five of us retired at the time and uh, and there's many a photo. So we played Carlton the week after we retired and um, but we were back in the, uh, which they lost on that occasion and then they they selected us uh, the following week, and I lost the captaincy against Footscray. That that's right, and and you mentioned yeah. you weren't considered for that match against the Blues. It all came to a head though, didn't it, on the Thursday? I think that the date given's April second at the at the club, and it said that the club threatened it threatened a split wide open. You actually arrived for training, but is it right, Don, that you you and your group weren't invited to the players' dinner that night as well? The same night they um, named the new captain being John Williams. Yes, uh, so Barry Davis ended up as captain and John Williams as vice captain, and yep. um, so and that was as a result of Alan Hurd and Harry Hunter at the time, and uh, so so we didn't go to the players' meal that night, and uh, so we were left out in the in the wilderness, so to speak. You mentioned Harry Hunter. I think he, the chairman of selectors at the time, he told the media, um, "You may need an obituary column. It could be the end of them." No fighting words. Yeah, well, that's fine. Yeah, you know, we accepted all that. Did it, did it reassure that. you that a, a couple of Collingwood big names at the time, obviously Len Thompson, Des Tudnam, a couple of greats, really were also um, taking a similar position? Did that reassure you, Don? Well, that uh, that came a couple of weeks after we. I would Come think back. initiated the whole uh, the whole scene and uh, as to player payments. Did it hurt you to lose the captaincy? Yeah, I, I was a you know feather in the cap, so to speak. But so I lost a bit of interest up to a point. You know, when the going got tough, you, you tend to turn the other cheek you know, rather than get stuck into it. And uh, so in that regard, uh, you know, I slackened off a bit, I suppose. Yeah, because you played for many more seasons, obviously. I think you you played for another four or five seasons there at, at VFL at senior level. But do you think it did just take the edge off for the remainder of your career, looking back? Well, I came back um, after I retired. Yeah. And I in the seconds, and uh, uh, which you know just proved to myself that I, you know I could still do it. And um, yeah, but losing the, the captaincy was a bit of a downer. But anyway. Well, we'll come, we'll come to that retirement decision and comeback decision on the other side of this because, as you just touched on, that's pretty fascinating given the gap between the two. Um, we're talking to Don McKenzie, of course, on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be back shortly with Don, who'll recount that retirement and comeback decision and also tell us how he became a galah in the prime of his career. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Essendon great Don McKenzie is our guest today. Don, you didn't just play for the Bombers. You pulled on the big V as well in 1967 to play Tasmania. Always great to play state football. So we, so I was forced enough to get selected there. Norm Smith, a great man. Um, he was coach of the side at the time, and uh, and we played Tasmania over in Tasmania, and um, so we actually end up playing the game with the lights of the uh, of the uh, press box because the uh, darkness came in rather quickly, <laughs> and we were all just playing in the dark and uh, yes, in Tasmania. Norms was a great coach. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was that experience like? Well, I, well, it was quite uh, more or less to my style of play, so to speak, which uh, was which was good. And um, um, and I can see how you know where Barassi got his his uh, coaching from because. Uh, he, he and Barassi were identical. Their approach to the game. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Barassi, Don. The following year, which is timely, because the following year you selected to take part in, as it was known at the time, the Australian Football World Tour, which was organised by the former umpire Harry Beitzel, of course, and James Harkin. Now, Don, the team became known as the Galars. What? Why was that? Well, I think it was the bird that they selected and... Uh, um, and of course, there were lots of uh, uh, critics saying that it never, you know, the game would never survive overseas, and uh, uh, which was totally wrong. And uh, so we got nicknamed the, the Galars. But uh, so Harry Harry Bicel was before his time, so to speak, and uh, and of course. He, he gets no recognition at all from the AFL as to how he paved the way for the international scene. Yeah, yeah, because you guys played against Gaelic teams. You played at some magnificent venues. Wembley Stadium, you played at Croke Park, which we've seen a bit in, in more recent times. And didn't you even play in Romania as well? Yeah, in, in Bucharest in Romania. <laughs> and there, were, there were two sides selected. And Ron Barassi, captain one. He was captain and coach of one. And Neil Curley from South Australia was captain and coach of the other side. Yep. And uh, and true, uh, Barassi and uh, Curley style. It was win at all costs. So there was no <laughs> no, no quarters given. And uh, wasn't a holiday. It, was on, uh, it wasn't a holiday. And, and we trained accordingly, and uh, over in Romania, and uh, so, so I think the gate at the time was something in the vicinity of uh, a twenty-five, perhaps thirty thousand people turned up because they put on a a top-class uh, soccer match, which got the crowd there initially, <laughs> and. Uh, and then, of course, they, they then took the uh, 
uh, uh, soccer nets down and then put up the goalposts. And, and Harry, he was the umpire of the game. And we had a chap, and I can't think of his name at the moment, from Geelong, who followed Geelong and, uh, and was a, a student of Australian rules. And he more or less did a commentary in, in the Romanian language. And uh, at the end of the game, we, we had both or crowds that were there booing and cheering and so on. So it was a great atmosphere by the end of the day. And uh, uh, so it was a great, uh, you know, a thrill to be part of that. Oh, Bucharest, Romania. Who would have, who would have thought it? Um, back on more familiar surrounds, you play your last VFL game for Essendon in round 22, 1974, Don. You're 35. You've been pretty durable, of, of course, but the body had had enough. Uh, not really. Uh, <laughs> I was I was dropped. Um, so so John Burt was the coach at the time, and uh, so I thought I you know I still had more football left in me. So right. I actually uh, rang Noel McMahon in Melbourne and asked you know would they accept me as a player at Melbourne, and he said yes. So I said all right. So I actually put in the clearance papers and so on. So I went to, uh, uh, I went to the committee and I was knocked back. And uh, But the following week, I, I got a game again. So, so it served its purpose at the time. <laughs> and uh, so, um, so then after that, I had a, a year off and so I thought, I'll, I'll have another go. And uh, so I trained up again and uh, I was having trouble with my hamstrings. And again, I, I went to Ron Clark and asked him about hamstring injuries. And he said, well, you know how, how you used to train up Brewster Street Hill, power up the hill? He said, well, instead of that, you power down the hill. And right. you lengthen your stride, and uh, and I don't understand why players don't do that nowadays. You know, all the power uh, exercise that players do, they should try try it in reverse. In other words, you you lengthen the hamstring by by striding out, you know, the longer stride, and that's what I did and overcame the, uh, the soreness in the hamstring. And uh, so I then played another, I think it was something like 14 or 15 games in the in the seconds, uh, which Ken Fraser and Barry Davis was, was coach. Ken Fraser was coach of the seconds. And, of course, that, they said to me, because you realised, you know, we might have to drop you at some stage rather. And I said, well, we can perform says that I'm not good enough, I'll accept that. Anyway, I was on the verge of being selected, actually, at, at the age of, of 35. Or 30. I think 39. you're 39 in this last season. All right, well, 39. And uh, <laughs> so um, it's, it, it can be done if, if you set your mind to it. So yeah. uh, that's what I did at the time. And I enjoyed that. 
you know, help, helping the young blokes out. And, uh, and of course, uh, uh, that was the start of Simon Madden and, uh, and of course, the club also imported uh, Graham Jenkins at the time from Collingwood and that was with Tottenham as coach. Uh, stupid move whereby they they swapped Graham Jenkins for uh, John Williams and John Williams had been second best and fairest in the club uh, the year that they got rid of him. Mm. Stupid move. Um, and of course Jenkins came and I think you know, for the years that Jenkins was there, I think he played something like three or four games, and uh, so that was a waste of money as well. But anyway, and then of course Graham Moss came along, and I mean, he was a great player, and you don't mind, you know, you know, giving up your place to a champion like he was. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a great way for you to put a full stop on things. It sounds like you. You yep. found not relief, but satisfaction in coming back for that one season swan song in 1978. But then you, you gave plenty back to the club too, Don, as an administrator. You were on the committee there from 81 to 86. I think you also had a stint as vice president as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. And wasn't 1981... Great, 81 was Kevin Sheedy's first season as coach, wasn't it? How active role did you play in, a, in appointing Sheeds? Um well, um, he he came along, and what a great coach he turned out to be. Um, and uh, so I was involved as vice president with um, David Shaw and then Graham McMahon, of course. And uh, uh, what a great administrator he was. At any rate, David Shaw and Ron Evans. They were both presidents at the time. Yeah. Yep, Kevin Sheedy going on to be, well, I don't, where do you rank him actually in, in Essendon coaching history, you know, particularly compared to someone like Dick Reynolds? Uh, two t- totally different individuals. Um, yeah. So I don't think um, uh, Dick put the time in like a, a Kevin Sheedy did. And uh, so Sheedy... He actually ate and slept and football. That's all he did. And uh, a great coach. Great coach. What about the modern day game? How much of the footy do you watch these days, Don? I. So I, I can't understand why they, they don't have, you know, boundary throw-ins because I think, you know, the art of ruck work has gone out of it a bit, and. Uh, so I think they've lost that part of the game. Do you um, mean, when it comes to the boundary throw-in, Don, do you mean that the fact they're not allowed to make contact before the ball's thrown in? Yes, yes. Yep. And um, uh, well, even kicking the ball out on the full, um, you know. Uh, so the oh, I see what you mean. Yep. yep. So the game doesn't allow it to have the, uh, the boundary throw-in. Yeah. Uh, so um, that's that's disappointing in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And but I think I'm amazed at the the um, uh, you know the athleticism of, of the individuals nowadays. 
they are brilliant in their in their fitness and uh, so obviously you know there's lots of coaches involved under the head coach and so uh, players are are home to the nth degree nowadays. How do you assess your old club's fortunes? What do you make of the Bombers in 2020? Well, um, I can't understand uh, the VFL and the way in which they treated their event at the time. And uh, the, um, uh, you know, whilst you know, there was a, any hint of, of drugs, nobody was ever tested. Hmm. And, nobody, and nobody was ever found guilty of any drugs. Uh, and yet, you know, the VFL went to the nth degree to get rid of them. And uh, so I feel for the players that were involved uh, in all that. And it was very poorly handled. Fair and, old uh, saga, wasn't it? It certainly was. And uh, so there's not... Uh, so there's no VFL administrator and say who who actually had drugs and uh, and where they were found guilty and where they were tested and a proper disgrace the whole the whole saga would you you'd like to think the clubs put it behind them now wouldn't you do you think that's the case I think so I hope so I think that uh, you know there's there's new players being introduced yeah. who weren't yeah. involved at all eventually it'll it'll go through the system so to speak and uh, um, and it'll, it'll be all all forgotten but uh, I, I'll never forget it it's uh, very poorly handled on both sides VFL and the club yeah no it certainly as you allude to here it certainly hurt a lot of Essendon people uh, current and past yeah. as well. Well, Don McKenzie, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. I mean, you played the game with a tremendous spirit and the fact you were able to not only compete but often beat Ruckman of greater height and weight only serves to enhance your legacy. You, you might have been a little late to the game, but you're more than made up for lost time and you hold a special place in the heart of Bombers supporters. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Just jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll catch you next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.